0: The ship is sinking. Bring it up. Oh, yeah. Hey, by the way, uh, I have a very important note here. Uh, why do we pick up in this studio? We always get this bad hum in here. I'll hit this equipment make it try to go here. I always get it in the studio. Hello. Yeah, it's bad. Hello, test. One, two, three. I hope you're not hearing it out there. It's just... Yeah, well, okay. All right, uh... Uh, I have a depressing note here from Clifton, New Jersey. A lawn figurine of a man in a yellow sombrero leading a donkey was stolen by someone. It was reported yesterday from in front of the home of somebody who lives out there in Clifton. One of the great uh, cultural monuments was recently taken. I wonder if that must have been a listener. but. The <laughs> I mean, if you know. Oh, uh, uh, would you please prepare my uh, salute to England music in there, please? All right, hit it. One, two, three, four, please. Hello. Big, big. And now we take this opportunity in our hands across the sea program to greet our cousins across the sea in that great land of England, the UK, as they call it. Da-da. We'd like to salute a splendid English lady. That's it. Take it out. Take it out, please, uh, and reset it because I'm going to use it again at the end there. We'd like to salute the great English lady in York, England. Magistrates found Eileen Downs guilty of stealing her boyfriend's $234 toupee and flushing it down her toilet. There will always be an English woman. The court released her with a warning not to do it again. Miss Downs, 37, told the court that she grabbed David Rhodes' wig during a row and flushed it away. And we caught her because it was my way of stopping him from getting violent with me, she said. And Rhodes did calm down after the uh, toupee went down the drain. Hold it there, hold it there. Now reset that. We're going to use that again, friend. I'm forever blowing bubbles, pretty bubbles in the air. La da ti ti, la da tu tu. Things are still going on in England that you might want to know. And uh, this this is a great story here. So uh, once again, we salute progress on the march in England. The British Empire marching forward always in the van, in the vanguard of human development and progress. Yeah, hold hold, hold it there, hold it there, hold it there, hold it there. We had a note here from uh, Evashan, England. Joseph Begley saved 2,000 cigarette coupons and mailed them in to a British cigarette company in exchange for a watch. When the watch never arrived, he wrote and asked why. Back came, in the next mail, three watches. Begley uh, only wanted one, so he mailed back the other two. The next day, ten parcels arrived from the cigarette firm. The following day, eighteen parcels arrived. The day after that, the local post office telephoned and said that ten more parcels were waiting for Begley. All of them were trade for gifts given by the cigarette company in exchange for coupons. Begley never had. Among the gifts he received were three tape recorders, a doll, a golf bag, two electric blankets, a cot, saucepans, a pressure cooker, and a whole raft of long playing records. Begley wrote a letter to the cigarette company, asking, please stop. Back came a reply saying, "Who is was a computer error. The company gave Begley 10,000 coupons in compensation for his troubles. With these, Begley then ordered tools and a bedspread. He received a plant stand and two stepladders instead. Yes, my God, there will always be an Englishman. Fighting against overwhelming odds. We shall fight them in the hedgerows. We shall fight them on the beaches. Blood, sweat, and tears will be our lot. But God, their sun will never set on an Englishman. The Empire may be gone, but Englishmen remain. This has been a special program of the Third Service of the British Broadcasting Corporation. Ta <laughs> we got some commercials here. Uh, Do you have the auto show in there for us? Hit the button, please. The money button, please. It
1: happens every spring. And it's wonderful.
0: The International Auto Show
1: at the Coliseum. Marvel at the moon car. Ready to travel the lunar circuit. The future is here with the new electric autos. Admire antiques, classics, racers, experimentals. See stunning cars from all over the world. Plus racing movies, beautiful models, fashions. It's an Easter holiday at the world's greatest auto show. The International Auto Show, New York Coliseum. Now through April 9th.
0: All right, that's very good. Uh, Speaking of trips, friend, uh, we'd like to suggest a total trip for you. How would you like to be driving up the coast of Portugal right now, friend? Oh, yeah, stopping off for a little lobster and a little wine. Well, you can on an incredible eight-day fly-and-drive tour for only $270 because the people of TAP, the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, have got a special sale on Portugal until the 30th of April. That's it, man, the 30th of April. And if you're sitting out there and thinking about hitting a golf ball on a fantastic golf course, I don't know why you'd be thinking that at this hour. However, you can do it on an eight-day jet-set golf tour for only $299. They fly you from golf course to golf course. Fantastic courses in Portugal. Now, both of these tours include round-trip economy airfare. They include the airfare. Prices subject to government approval. So, man, you better call quick. Call the people at T.A.P. for complete details. And that number in New York is 421-8500. Remember, the sale ends the 30th of April. Well, we'll save a few of these till later. we got a lot of commercials. Hey, you know, speaking of uh, of England, uh, it's, uh, you know, I just got back from around the world trip. You heard about that, didn't you? Was, yeah, last week I went around the whole world in one week. Yeah, wow, is right, man. I'll tell you, wow. It's like the world is an unbelievable, fantastic, uh, surrealistic newsreel. It really is. It's, it's, it's a totally mind blowing experience to, to, to take a very quick trip around the world. It ain't cheap either. But, uh, man, you'll never forget it. <laughs> I'll tell you. And, uh, one of the, one of the wild, uh, experiences that I remember, you know, from taking this trip around the world is the, is the fear you always have a fear, a constant fear, as you travel around, uh, that 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 something is going to happen that uh, is totally out of control, like for example, uh, your uh, your luggage is now on its way to Murmansk for some unexplained reason, and uh, there you are in Bangkok. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and, out, and you you laugh. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. Uh this this is the kind of thing that you know it, it just gets out of control. And there's a point when things become so out of control when the human being, being what he is, just relaxes and says, Well there ain't no way back <laughs> you know. that uh it, it, here's what happened to me. I'm 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 in uh, I'm in uh, Tehran, okay? Tehran. Now Tehran is pretty pretty remote to most people's uh, general experience. Even the most travelers don't stop by in Tehran. It's not a tourist place. And I'm in Tehran, right? And uh, here I am in my hotel room. And uh, the call comes up from the desk. The guy says, a very strange accent. They speak a, a language there called Farsi, which is a, has a, a curious uh, accent when it's spoken in English. And uh, he calls me up, he says, sir, and I says, yes, he says, we uh, would wish to have you uh, register the number of your airplane ticket here at the desk, please. And I said, oh, the number of my airplane ticket, of course. And so I, I goes into my, my uh, bag, see, and everybody who travels around the world, or travels any place, does any really serious traveling, you have, most people have a leather folder, and you better... Think about this. If you have never done any overseas travel, you should get one of these. It's a leather folder that all of your stuff is kept in, stuff like uh, uh, your health uh, certificate, you know, where they stamp on whether you've been been, uh, inoculated against uh, yellow botulism and all those great uh, diseases that you're inoculated against, cholera. Oh, yeah, you know, nothing like that one. And so, so you have all these things. See, and you put your, your uh, health certificate in this folder, you put your passport in the folder, you put your tickets in the folder, and your luggage stuff, all all that stuff. See, so you know where it is, right? So Shepard says, oh, excuse me one minute, I'll I'll uh, I'll be right back in a second. I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll give you the number of my airplane ticket. No trouble at all. So I when I get my my folder out and I open it up. I can't believe it. There's no ticket. No ticket. I'm in Tehran. This is a ticket that takes me around the world, you know. Also takes me back. No ticket. So what the hell, no ticket. I so said, where could it be? I, it was always in there. So I, I I go back to the telephone. I said, uh, excuse me, but I'll call you back. He says, said, uh, uh, no, no hurry, sir. We just wish you for our records. I said, okay. So I hung up. What the heck? So I take out my all my luggage and I dump it all out on the bed. And I start going through everything. For me! It must have got lost in my bag someplace, you know. No way. It is not there. I do not have an airplane ticket. <laughs> it's gone. I mean, G-O-N, gone. What do you do now? Well, there's two things you do. Uh, one, you panic. And uh, you start, uh, you know, rolling around on the floor crying. That's, that's the first thing you do. The second thing you do, you go into what they call second-level hysterics. This is the level beyond panic, at which point you you often slip into melancholia. Uh, I have known many people that just quietly... I, I think this is what happened to Ambrose Beers. Did you ever hear about Ambrose Beers? Famous writer... Well, Ambrose Bierce uh, took a trip to Mexico and never came back. I think he lost his ticket somewhere along the line. He just slipped into melancholia and wandered off, and that was the end of it. You know, the natives cooked them or something. You know, who knows, you know? But uh, you, begin to, you begin to think of terrible alternatives. You see, immediately, being a human being, the human being next to the cockroach is the most adaptable creature that the Earth has ever seen human being can adapt itself to any, outside of rocks, they're pretty adaptable, but the human being can adapt himself to any situation, given enough time, he can do it. So uh, after the first initial onslaught of hysteria, and, uh, you know, figuring, there must be some mistakes, so I dumped out my stuff again, looked through everything, nothing, there is no ticket, there is no ticket. And I can't figure out when I last saw it then at that point. When did I last see the ticket? But then when did I see it? Let's see. Where was it? Where they took a look at my ticket. Let's see. It was in the... The last time they actually looked at my ticket was back in... JFK. Chief, I'm in Tehran. It's the last time they actually saw my ticket... Yeah, that's right. When was the last time you saw your ticket? I says, you know, you have to start interrogating yourself. Then I says, well, I didn't even see it in JFK. Come to think of it, I don't think I ever actually saw it. I wonder if I ever did it. You know, you don't even begin to doubt everything. You, you say, I never really did have a ticket, did I? I don't know hell, you know, this is WOR New York. In case you're wondering what all this is happening on. So this is this is the kind of thing that all world travelers, anybody who travels at all, fears. To lose your most important credential. And there ain't nothing more important than a ticket to get out of that place. Now, <laughs> I tell you, <laughs> even your passport. Because, you know, after all, a passport is something you can fix up. You can go to the embassy, you know, and they'll do something. That <laughs> You go to the embassy and tell them you lost your ticket, they just laugh. <laughs> well, yep, that's the way it is. You know, you wander out the street. So I did not have a ticket. There I was, halfway around the world. Well, then, what do you do? See, so I said, uh, I have to do something. So I, I walked out to, <laughs> to the Pan-American. You know, there's an office down there, and I walked in, and uh, here's this guy standing a very official-looking guy, and they, they're very elegant people, by the way, the Iranians, very elegant. And uh, all the women in Iran look a little bit like Sophia Loren. I'm telling you the truth. They really do. Really, really do. So, uh, yes, they do, and, so, uh, and all the men, uh, they, they don't look like Sophia Loren, the men, they, <laughs> they always look like uh, somebody who's about to sell you a bad used car, but uh, nevertheless, I walk into this place, and it's a very elegant guy, and I says to him, uh, excuse me, sir, but uh, I came in on uh, flight uh, 6SJ7 uh, from uh, Istanbul, and he says, ah, so, yes, indeed, I knew you have, sir? I said, yes, I have, I have some bad news. Immediately, his lidded eyes opened, uh, you know, like a a hooded cobra about to strike, just mere slits at one point. Now they're, you know, they're uh, glowing, you see, with the evil. And I said, what can I do? He says, well, what is your trouble, sir? I said, well, uh, uh, I've uh, misplaced my ticket. He says, you have, says what? And I says, I have no ticket. He says, well, where were you going? I said, well, I was... On my way to Bangkok, and after that, I was going to Tokyo. And I could see him changing colors. This is a big ticket I've lost. I haven't lost a, you know, I haven't mislaid a ticket to Hackensack. I've lost a big ticket. And he says, where were you going after that? I says, well, from Tokyo. I was going to New York. Oh, my God. So he staggers back, and he says, uh, well, he says, "Uh, this is very unusual. You have lost your ticket. Are you certain? I said, look, I wouldn't be in here telling you this. If I wasn't pretty sure, I says I've torn the carpet in my room to shreds, figuring it might have, you know, hidden under the bed or something, and I'm one of the cockroaches carried it into the air conditioning unit or something. I says I've took, I've done everything. I've dumped out the drawers, everything. It's gone, gone, gone. <laughs> and he says, excuse please, will you be calm please? You are disturbing the other customers please. I said, but it's gone, it's gone. He says, please excuse. And uh, I I had to go over and sit next to the fern. See, they told me to sit over by the fern. And uh, so he's gone for a long time, and I can hear muffled curses in the next room in Farsi, which is a terrible language to hear curses in. I'll tell you, they have curses that have got knobs on them. Whoo! So I could tell there were curses. I could hear muffled things and phones ringing and stuff. And he comes out, and he says, uh, he says, uh, when were you supposed to leave this country? I says, tomorrow. He says, well, I would not make plans for that. Well, then I had this wild feeling of, of me disappearing into the bazaar in Tehran for years, never never being seen again. And you know, years later, uh, a crew of, of blue-haired lady tourists would discover this cross-legged man, emaciated, high cheekbones, speaking an unknown language, selling brass kerosene lamps, eking out a meager living in the <laughs> you know, in the in the in the in the bazaar, <laughs> so I said to the guy, I, you know, I, 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 um, unfortunately I have this humor which keeps popping to the surface which puts people off badly. Certain certain nationalities have very little humor in their makeup, and I found that this is true of the Iranians. So I I, I said to him, uh, I was planning to leave tomorrow on the uh, flight six SJ seven for Bangkok. He says, this is, uh, I would not uh, entirely count on that, sir. He says, you have lost the ticket. You have lost the ticket. And uh, we, we uh, after all, this is, uh, this is a problem which you, you must resolve. You have lost the ticket. Well, he's throwing the ball back at me is what it sounds like. And I says, oh, well, in that case, it's no problem. And he says, what is What do you mean? I says, I will get a job at Ray's Pizza. Right next door there's a place called Ray's Pizza. Ray, R A Y, Ray's Pizza. You don't imagine a place named Ray's Pizza in Tehran, right? Well, there was, see? And he says, You you are working in the pizza? And I says, I am very good. I know how to. I, I can turn out a genuine Jersey style pizza. There ain't many guys in the Tehran can do that. I'm probably worth my weight in gold working for Ray. He says, Very good, sir. He says, Very good. We will make an attempt to get your ticket. However, I would not be so sure as may happen. Good day, sir. So I skulk out into the sunshine. I mean, the world had turned to ashes in my mouth. Ashes. Here I expected him to say, you know, we have no problem. We even make you order another ticket here. You know, stamp with a stamp, nothing. He says, no, this is very high, very high, very very We will send the wire somewhere. And I don't know whether or not you have ever had the feeling of, of... of a, a heavy-lidded gentleman telling you he's about to do something for you and then disappearing into the incense-scented anteroom where he seems to be entertaining two tall ladies with wasp waists drinking strange drinks. And he just left. My fate was in the hands of the gods, or at least the Iranians. So, <laughs> Well, at that point, you know what? I felt, I, I felt a sudden total release. I felt a release as though it's all over now. It's like a guy jumping off the top of a 42-story building. By the time you hit the 20th floor, you know you ain't going back. <laughs> ain't much to do. You might as well just enjoy the ride, you know. <laughs> so, you know, who, you know, what's going to come in the future? That's coming in the future. What's coming now is you're flapping your arms, trying to fly to a few Immelmans there, you know. So uh, I just sort of relaxed. I said, well, oh, okay, you know. And so uh, I, I I took uh, it took out my dough and I counted my dough. I figured I I could spend a few fruitful weeks in the in the bazaar, you know, singing and dancing and and uh, doing whatever it is they do in the bazaar when they smoke the water pipes and all that stuff and get the heavy lids on the eyes. So I just took off, <laughs> you know. I just simply took off. Do you have that ding dong there for the general tire there? Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, you know, I'm kind of glad to get back to this world, you know, where you can turn on the machine and the commercials come out, you know. Hit it. Oh, no, it says music there. It says General Tire. No, no, see, it says right at the start. It says General Tire. It says open the... Uh, no, no, you play the music first, please. Hit it. All right, Jerry, don't worry, I'm in charge. Listen to this, friends. Strong four-ply nylon cord general jet tubeless white walls in popular size 65013. Now anniversary price at only $66 for a complete set of four tires. Excise tax is $175 per tire. And for big car owners, you big fat guys, larger sizes of the long mileage, General Jet Whitewall is also available at comparable savings. So watch for that big General Tire G, your one stop car care headquarters. <laughs> pow, pow. Yeah, see Dick Exposito, Esposito, at General Tire Service, 85 East Jericho Turnpike, Huntington Station, Long Island. That was nice. <laughs> have another commercial here. Sabres, March 31st should have been good news for most of you, because on that day, most banks credited interest to savings accounts, some at 5% a year, some as low as 4% a year. You see, interest is credited and available in most banks every three months. Now, here's the question. Will you have to wait another three months before you get a dividend credited to your account? ho. well, customers of Provident Savings Bank in Jersey City won't. No, sir, because they credit their account, uh, let's see, 5% dividends posted to their account on the last day of every month. So you can score big next month if you get with Provident. Now, you don't have to be a Jersey resident. Over 82,000 Provident Savers from all over the USA Know that Provident has never missed paying a dividend since 19, let's see, 132 years. So get your bank by mail kit. Just write Provident in care of WOR, New York, 10018. Let's see, we've done general. Hey, we've got another. You got that Newsday spot in there? Hit the button, please.
1: This is John Gambler. Oh, hi, John. For Newsday, the Long Island newspaper. Yeah. This Sunday is D Day for Newsday's long planned Sunday edition, and I want to give you a preview of the special reports coming up. In L.I. Magazine, Harvey Aronson tells the sentimental story of growing up on Long Island, and food editor Barbara Rader reports how the famous duckling actually got to Long Island. And in Newsday's new TV book, the cover story spotlights Jane Fonda and the upcoming Oscar Awards. And of course, the rest of Newsday's complete Sunday package brings you the latest news from the island, the nation, and the world, plus the most up-to-date sports results available to Long Island readers. And you won't want to miss the exciting color comic section. If you don't get Newsday now, call 741-1234 on Long Island. No service, George, for home delivery of Newsday.
0: Well, that was old John by George. This is late for him. Tell you this, sounds a little foggy there, John. But, uh, you know, uh, what is this, the the, the duckling? What's this, the the day the duckling arrived? What's this with the duckling in Long Island? Do they have a... Is there a mystic duckling? The great great magic duckling of Long Island? I mean, you know, like the... uh, (laughs) <laughs> like the Jersey Devil or something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that's, you know, the great mysteries of our time. You just have to accept them. Speaking of mysteries here, we got one more commercial. And that's it, friends. And you can breathe easy. We'll return to the world of reality in just a moment. When uh, somebody says reference book, what do you think of, huh? Big fat book with dust all over it? Huh? That you use for a doorstop? Well, the, <laughs> the book, find Club, is offering you a fun reference book for just $1 plus postage and handling. It's called Atlantic Brief Lives, which regularly sells for 15 bucks, And it contains over 1,000 biographies of important artists and literary figures. And, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of a groovy book to have, according to the spot here. So to get your $15 volume of Atlantic Brief Lives for only $1 buck plus postage and handling... You call O X seven 71535 for membership in the Book Find Club. And all you have to do is to buy two more books over a year's time, and you stay right in the club. They won't drum you out. Book Find Club, they have all these great books. Uh, or you can send your name and address, no money, to Book Find, W O R, New York, 1 That's good. That was nice. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, the madness, yeah, I think you better put that up there. Speaking of madness. Uh, and we we've been the you know, the guy getting caught with his chick there. You know, I'll tell you one thing I find uh traveling around and, and uh I'm sorry I don't have any tapes tonight, but we're editing a lot of stuff uh that that I've recorded. I wherever I go, uh when I'm going on a on a trip someplace, I usually take along a tape recorder. I find a tape recorder is much more uh how can you say it, uh, alive. Than, uh, than cameras. I, I I find the more I travel, the less I take pictures. I used to, you know, take a lot of pictures wherever I go, and I find that I never use them, you know, hardly ever look at them after you've been there. There's some kinds of people, though, who don't do that. You know, I I uh, I have friends who continually press pictures of their trip to Yellowstone on me, you know, or wherever the hell it was. And they show me endlessly these pictures, and they all look the same. And for some reason or other, the, the picture people have a, an insane desire to to show themselves in all these pictures. I don't know what I, you know. And they always look kind of lumpy and kind of. And they've been sick. They haven't gone. You know, they've been they've been uh, their their digestion has not been working for three days. It doesn't make any difference. There they are, standing in front of the great orange Buddha someplace. You know. And you can't tell one from the other, and the pictures sort of furry, and they they continually show you these bad pictures. So I've learned over the, <laughs> I've I've got a real antipathy about this, and so I don't take many pictures wherever I go. You know, unless I see a you know a drunken tourist that's been run over by an ox cart or something, I may take a picture of that. But uh, generally, I don't uh, I don't take many pictures. But I do use a tape recorder because a tape recorder, for one thing. Uh, is much more, uh, much, much more alive than than any kind of pictures. And I have stuff... Now, I don't go around with a tape recorder and interview people. To me, this is the dullest of all. This is even worse than the pictures. Well, I'd like to play you my tape recorder, the interesting little shopkeeper that I met in Bangkok. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I can imagine that. But uh, what I do in with a tape recorder, once you learn how to really uh, use tape recorders and... and uh, uh, I, I suppose you can say uh, appreciate sounds is to actually record sounds of things rather than people generally, and so uh, I have I have a, a great section of tapes that I recorded just walking around with a tape recorder in the bazaar in Tehran, and it'll. i uh, believe me, when you hear these tapes, uh, Tehran is going to come alive far more than any picture will ever bring it to you, and even any television picture. It's a curious thing, but the sound does this. But nevertheless, uh, I I found that the the most insatiable camera nuts in the world, absolutely insatiable, are the Japanese. Now, they not only make great cameras, and we're all used to this, but they're insatiable cuckoos for the cameras themselves. I'm using them. In, in Tokyo, for example, I'm walking, every place I went in Japan, I went up the side of Mount Fuji and I was, you know, spending time, I had a little time in a village, a couple of little villages on the shore of a lake in, in Japan. It seems like every third Japanese you see has got a camera hanging on in front of them. And by the way, it was a kind of surprise to me to find that the Japanese don't, they don't, they, don't, they just don't only make Nikons. Uh, or Mirandas, you know, these these real big, expensive, involved cameras, they make little cheapies, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, they make, in other words, they make the kind, of, the equivalent of the kind that Aunt Clara has, you know, that Aunt Clara carries around and takes these rotten pictures with. Well, they have that type, too. And uh, practically every second Japanese has got one of these little plastic cheapies hanging around his neck there. And uh, constantly you hear the sound of shutters clicking. In fact, uh, the first night when I walked out of my hotel room, out into the darkness and headed towards the Ginza. Uh, it was just getting to be twilight. It wasn't really dark. It was getting like twilight there, see. So I headed out. It was kind of a cool night. And uh, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I'm, I'm walking along waiting for the stoplights to change. They have walk lights all over Tokyo, see, and I'm waiting for the lights to change. And I hear the sound, these, these, this constant humming sound all around me. And I thought maybe they were having locust problems or something. You know, the, the mysterious bugs that were attacking Tokyo. And by the way, uh, you should see some of the incredible, fantastic, uh, I suppose you can call them science fiction, SF uh, series that TV has in Tokyo. It's uh, unbelievable. The, the Japanese are really hung on, on monsters. I mean, do you know that they've got a kid series? over there where the, where the, uh, it's live. It's done live. It's not filmed. It's a kid series where the, uh, the characters, like, you know, we have Sesame Street and and you see the, the cookie monster and all that stuff. Well, they have a, a series over there. It's in color. I watched it. Where the characters are monsters. I mean, you know, like Godzilla. <laughs> I mean, you remember Godzilla, the monster and the thing from the, from the Black Lagoon and all that stuff. So here they are sitting around, these monsters, see? And they, they were having a... I turned it on, I couldn't believe it. Here's a wrestling match going on between two monsters. And they're rolling around on the floor there. And uh and kids are cheering. They have kids. They have a live audience. They're cheering the monsters. See, they have their own choice, I suppose, their own favorite monster. One kid's a Godzilla kook, and another kid digs the uh, monster from the Black Depths or whatever it is. And so they have, the monster is a big moving thing in Japan. It's not just a thing that uh, you see on late, late TV. It's alive and and living, you know. And so everywhere you see the monsters, well, you see also another thing. I hear the buzzes going on. It clicks and everything. I turn around, and I realize it is not the locust. It is the steady hum of Japanese taking pictures uh, of of, their, of themselves. They're You know, they're, they're even worse than uh, your Aunt Clara. So every time the bus would stop, all these Japanese people would jump out of the bus and run and stand in front of a high-fire hydrant, or they'd stand in front of a... You know, they all stand, and they look real solemn. They stand with their arms straight against their sides, and all the men sort of stick their stomachs out. and you know, look real solemn, and the women look kind of uh, kind of embarrassed, but they all stand in a little knot, and, and uh, the, the, the guy that's taking a picture, see, he keeps moving back and forth. He goes, oh, here, go. hey hey oh, oh, yeah. And pow, he takes the picture. Then they all run like hell back into the bus. <laughs> they don't look at the, at the scenery. They run back in the bus, and uh, they go to the next place. You see where the tour is taking them. And so the, 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 steady, <laughs> the steady uproar of, of cameras being shot off is very common in, in, the, in Japan the, in, the, in the life of the Japanese. Incidentally, speaking of, uh, of cameras, uh, everywhere you look in Japan, uh, and this is pretty much of the Far East, uh, everywhere you look, there are gigantic stores filled with nothing but camera equipment. Fantastic camera equipment. I mean, you never saw such stuff. I mean, gigantic lenses. I mean, maybe 8, 10 feet long, uh, 4 or 5 feet across, weigh maybe two or 3,000 pounds, have to be carried in a special truck. <laughs> I don't know what they do with all this stuff. Oh, gee, you know. And I saw lenses. It's boggle the imagination. And uh, and another thing that's, that's really swept the Japanese. I mean, they really are going uh, ape over, just completely, is hi-fi. Now, hi-fi in this country is, you know, it's a kind of an accepted part of the uh, our life. And, uh, you know, you have special stores where you go buy hi-fi, and uh, that's about the extent of it. But in Japan, hi-fi is so big that, the, you know, like we have big signs uh, all over the country, say, for Coca-Cola or for... Uh, Oldsmobile or Chevy or something like that, they have gigantic neon signs, huge neon signs, that will say something like uh, Sansui, which is a big hi-fi name over there. Uh, big uh, big signs that say uh, uh, stuff like Hitachi. And uh, underneath it's big hi-fi. They always use the English phrase, hi-fi. I guess uh, the, even in Japanese, the word is hi-fi. Uh, by the way that's interesting too because the japanese word for yes is hi they go hi 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 you hear this all hi meaning yes and so they have these tremendous showrooms i mean i never saw anything like the showrooms where they show their hi fi and it's very elegant most hi fi places in america are kind of grubby unfortunately they you know there's yeah there's there's always a bunch of guys selling batteries and the uh, you know just uh, you know they're kind of grubby they're sort of a well, you know what I'm talking about. The uh, the uh, unless there you know, there are a few elegant hi hi-fi places, but over there hi-fi is is like a you know a total experience. And so you go into these these rooms and they have seats all laid out like theaters, and uh, yeah, they they're set up like theaters. And people come in just off the street and sit in these these seats, and all the while this equipment is playing. You can walk right in there. It isn't it isn't a matter of just going in and say, please uh, demonstrate number two for me. You know. Demonstrate the preamp 6SJ7 over there, number, Model 6. Nothing like that. The stuff is playing all the time. And and you see, you know, dozens of Japanese will come in off the street and just sit there in the in the seats, which are set up like a little theater, and they're sitting in there and they're just quietly uh, listening to all the music that's playing. And then they'll get up and walk out. Uh, and the, the clerk never asks you. That's kind of a great thing they have. there. The clerk doesn't come over instantly and, uh, and say, uh, hey, come on, bum, move on. Or, uh, you know, uh, you, want a, you want speaker? All right, you don't want speaker out. You know, nothing like that. Uh, you just sit there, and, and uh, you have to practically uh, ask for a clerk. Uh, you, so uh, I went into one of these places, and I, I walked around. And of course, being, uh, being an American, I, I probably looked like an easy mark, you know. But uh, I walked around, And uh, I sat down in the the seat, and I'm listening to the music, and and a Japanese uh, salesman uh, saw that I was looking, because I couldn't read any of the Japanese writing, of course. It was all Japanese, all the writing all over the place. And uh, he just uh, came over, and there was a little bow, and uh, he just handed me a a folder that, that had a translation of all the stuff that I was looking at. He didn't say any more than that. just gave me this if I wanted to see what I was reading. That's all. So uh, I took the folder, and I could see where all the stuff was. And boy, uh, talk about the elegance uh, they have in many of their hi-fi salons over there. So walking out, I realized that hi-fi is is a major thing. Now, I saw I saw something that was, of uh, course, the whole idea of the transistor radio, which has really revolutionized Japan. Uh, it's a whole attitude. In fact, all over the Orient, the transistor radio is a major, I can only say it's almost a major uh hang-up. I mean, it's everywhere you see these things. Well, here we are. We're in a bus, and uh, the bus is riding along, and I'm, I'm in a Japanese bus, and uh, I see up in the front, I see this uh, guy is driving a bus. He's in a uniform. they very elegant uniforms they wear, and he's driving a bus, and I see he's got a wire hanging out. I figured he had a two-way radio or something there, you know, that uh, he was, might have been in touch with the front office or something, but he's got an, a plug in his ear, and I realized he's listening to the radio. He's got just a the radio there. You know, it's a big transistor-type radio with all kinds of antennas and stuff hanging over the side of it. And uh, here he is driving. Can you imagine a Fifth Avenue bus driver riding along listening to the radio while he's, he's driving his bus? Well, there he is driving. So I began to notice this was a very common thing in Japan, uh, that you would walk into a place where, say, a clerk is, is a, a guy's at a cash register. And uh, he's making out the checks in a restaurant or something. You see a little wire coming out of his ears. You he's listening to radio. <laughs> Everywhere you go you see the radio going. And uh, this this is this is part of, of uh that, that strange world. Now In in Bangkok on the other hand, uh in Bangkok uh, it wasn't quite like that. They have they have a hang up on other things. For example, birds. Uh yeah, they got a bird thing going. Uh birds, birds, I'm just birds, you know yeah were you i i went into about fifty places and there were birds singing and, you know they they have canaries and the canaries singing away there no i sing no canaries in japan <laughs> plenty of transistor radios no canaries but uh, in the uh, in Bangkok nothing but the uh, but the canaries and, you know there's an, uh, speaking of of bangkok uh have you ever had Thai food well uh I don't know if there's a Siamese restaurant here in New York City. All I can say is that Thai food is not like, if you think of it in terms of people tend to lump all the Oriental food, you know, they say uh, Oriental food, not at all. Uh, it's very different. Japanese food bears very little relationship to Chinese food. Uh, if you've ever had sushi, you, you, were, you remember it. Uh, you know what sushi is, don't you? Well, this is a Japanese dish that involves raw fish. And uh, they call it sushi, S H U S H I sushi, and it's very good if you can overcome your initial Western attitude against uh, raw fish. You know, we have a we would probably immediately have this, you know, raw fish, but it's it's excellent, really is good. Uh, but it doesn't have any relationship to say food that I had in Thailand. Now in Thailand, they'll bring you a bowl. And uh, this is what I had in several restaurants. They bring you a bowl, and they, they go for very elegantly prepared rice in uh, Thailand. Much, much more subtle rice than you'll find in other parts of the Orient. has curious spices in it. And uh, you, you get a bowl of this rice, and then they will give you four or five bowls of other things. Uh, chicken, there's some kind of a beef thing, and some kind of a fish thing. And with that, all these things are ladled into this bowl. In different spots in the bowl, it's like you've got a, a curious uh, mound of rice, and all around it are little little dabs of food, ranging all the way from uh, a curious chicken to an odd-tasting fish to uh, some kind of a highly spiced beef. And there's about six or seven dishes all around in this one big bowl, and you eat it out of a bowl. And it uh, it's it's uh, it's an odd kind of cooking, but excellent. Uh, speaking of odd things, I had a cup of tea. Now you know, tea is something uh, I can take or leave alone. I have been known to walk away from tea, without a backward glance. But uh, I was, <laughs> I was in a, I was in a Japanese restaurant, and uh, and I was having, uh, I was having, uh, let's see, what was tempura? I was having tempura, tempura, which is a Japanese form of deep. Well, they, they dip. Shrimp, for example, in a, with a with a very thin batter, and uh, it's it's cooked right there on the at the table with a uh, hot uh, deep fat of some kind. It's really good. So I'm having this, and, and the, the girl says, uh, "You wish tea, sir?" And I said, "Yes," and she brings me a cup of tea. Well, uh, you know I usually get tea in Oriental restaurants. That's it. But this tea, I don't know what was in this tea. But this tea was so spectacular. It was a, it was it was it was kind of the essence of dark green tea, but really green. It was it was as green as 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 grass, but it had a a spectacularly aromatic flavor. And I just take one taste of this stuff, and you can understand the whole tea uh the tea uh you know there's a whole aficionado thing about various teas. So I drank this tea. It was fantastic tea. Later on, I, 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 I mentioned this to a Japanese friend. I said, what about this tea? He said, oh, that's a, that tea is very, very expensive. Only in that part of the country can you get that tea. I says, really? He says, yes, you know, did did you ask, did you have any of the tea sauce? I says, tea sauce? He says, yes, they make tea sauce. They make a, a syrup out of the tea, which is then poured over ice cream or candied fruit. <laughs> Who I, I realized instantly I am not at the H&H. Things are very different. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, and out there in the darkness. Well, yeah, this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith on the News.